UFC 262 post-fight thoughts. Dun, dun, dun. Hey guys, Fight Junkie here. As usual, before we jump into this next episode, I want to remind you guys, you can hit me up on Twitter at FightJunkie.com. Listen to me on Anchor, Spotify, Google, Apple, Amazon, basically anywhere you can find a podcast, I'll be there. You can also subscribe to the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash FudJunkie2006. Who's the master, Leroy? Tonight, that's Charles Oliveira. Wow, wow, wow. I mean, that's the only thing you can say. Going into this fight, if you guys didn't get a chance and you want to double check everything I'm telling you, icon, upper right corner, click it, it'll link back to the original pre-fight prediction podcast. We said Oliveira had very good submissions, of course, this is a no-brainer. Very good technical striking, but the edge and power went to Michael Chandler. And even if you look throughout their careers, this is supported, like even via their their stoppages and the way they win. Oliveira's a very, very good technical fighter, but he's not a big banger. Well, he proved tonight he's got a little something-something in those gloves because it was basically a one-hit boom, shagalaka, and Chandler was done. Yeah, he didn't go completely out with the first shot, but that fight was over once that left hook landed in the second round. Beyond that impressive showing of power, what everybody is talking about, and how could you not, is how he overcame that difficulty of basically almost being knocked out in the very first round. I mean, it wasn't just one shot. He got hit with a lot of shots. He took the shots better than what I thought he would. I said on the pre-fight podcast that it wouldn't take many for uh, uh, Michael Chandler to put him down, and he put him down, but I was expecting down and out, and he almost got him, almost. But Charles was tough enough, resilient enough, took the shots good enough, and he never gave up. He never doubted himself. You could see that in the second round. He still came out. He pushed the pace. He was willing to trade. And when he landed on Chandler, it was Chandler who couldn't take the shots from Oliveira. What a freaking twist. If you told me going in, if the two throw... Uh, a mano y mano right in the center of the octagon who's going to get the worst of it i would have said charles i would have thought chandler would be able to land one of those big bombs like he did in the first round and charles would have went out but it was reversed it was michael chandler who couldn't absorb the punishment that was coming his way and that says a lot for charles because in my opinion he still had the power disadvantage he had to fight through the adversity first he showed he could do it Chandler showed he couldn't do it. And if you look at Michael Chandler's record of his wins and losses right now after this fight, 22 wins, 6 losses. Of his 6 losses, now 4 have come inside the distance via KO, TKO. Never been subbed. I do not consider Charles Oliveira a huge puncher. And he just flattened Chandler there's something to be said I think in future fights you've got to look at this because it seems to be Chandler is vulnerable 
to strikes. He doesn't have the durability that we perceive he does. And at 35 years old, I don't think that durability is going to get better. Again, taking nothing away from Charles Oliveira. Amazing technical striker, but he's not a huge one-punch going to just splatter your face all over the canvas guy. And he did that tonight to Chandler. I don't like the way Chandler took that shot. It was a beauty right on the button. But I expected Chandler to be able to absorb shots like that. Even if he had to clinch, even if he had to move, I didn't expect you get the spaghetti legs going on like that. And basically the fight was over. So that's something going forward when we cap Michael Chandler fights in the future you have to be aware of. And like we said also in the in the pre-fight podcast, the under, the under, the under. Now, I never expected the under to be because of Charles knocking Chandler out. But I thought the threat of Chandler knocking Charles out was there. We saw that in the first round. It came very, very close. And I thought the, the submission threat of Oliveira was there in a legitimate threat. Something we have to talk about because a lot of people won't because the fight ended via strikes, which was impressive and the way it ended, especially with the guy that's perceived to have the less power. But the grappling Chandler locked up that guillotine and it was tight, tight. And then Oliveira got out and I'm like, "Uh oh, now we're going to see Chandler has very good submission defense. You saw that I didn't like that. He went to his back. With Charles, that's almost like you're just asking to get submitted. Granted, he was able to get out of it. But when I'm looking at this fight and capping for future fights against a submission artist that will love to get you on your back. That's one of his favorite submissions. You put yourself right into that position. I'm thinking, what kind of game planning do you have here? Do you just make constant bad decisions he's able to get away with it but what about when you're not able to get away with it so when you factor that in now granted there's not a lot of people that can grapple like Charles Oliveira can so Chandler's probably not going to be in dangerous positions like that again against other people in the division but it was just something that caught my eye like that's one of the worst spots you could be in in that fight well theoretically going into it what we thought and you put yourself in that position And I'm like, what is going on here? Granted, he got out of it, hurt Charles, almost finished him, ultimately got ended on the feet. I mean, what a performance from Charles Oliveira. I'm actually more impressed with him overcoming that adversity and then one punch blasting Chandler. I never anticipated a one punch shot like that. Landing on Chandler and having that kind of effect, that's just a... A terrible reaction to that punch from Chandler. Like, you're considered an amazing wrestler with this brutal power. You you showcase the power. You show you showcase that you can be the you can be the hammer, but you can't be the nail. And I think that we're starting to see that with Chandler's career as he's been stopped four times. So he's almost like, I'm going to get you or you're going to get me. That bodes well if you're betting the under. And the editor in this fight wasn't crazy when it opened. It was around minus 325. We spoke about that. And I think when I did the podcast, it was somewhere around approaching maybe minus 400. You can double check that as well. Um, So it was still reasonable. And I said, in my opinion, if you wanted the safest guarantee quote unquote, because there is no such thing that under was it. And then we went down to break the rest of the fight down. But 
I mean, you you can't fault anything that Charles did. He he fought his fight from the very beginning. He told everyone who would listen that he wasn't afraid to stand and bang. In the beginning, it looked like that was going to be a huge mistake. He wasn't able to to uh, snatch up his neck and get a submission out of there. But he showed his technical striking is good enough to get to a guy like Chandler, who maybe knew he probably would say has some chin issues, and that technical striking was able to win out. We mentioned that going in. His, his striking is really amazing. I mean, it really is. I just don't consider him a puncher. If I would have considered him a puncher, I would have picked Charles straight out of the gate on an inside play because I think that going in we mentioned that he was a far better overall fighter than Chandler but that lack of power when you're in a a stand-up battle can be very dangerous and Charles has had chin issues himself in the past but tonight he overcame and it was Chandler who couldn't overcome so I thought that was a very very impressive performance from Charles Oliveira Hats off to him and anybody who took the under. It was very, very impressive. And we also mentioned in the podcast, if you liked either side, the under, the uh, inside was the way to play that 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 fight because the odds of this going to a distance uh, a distance fight was slim to none. Uh, again, I didn't expect Charles to knock him out, but he has ways to finish the fight, especially with submissions. And of course, Chandler showed what he was capable of. He's capable of hurting probably anybody in the division if he lands right. But again, there were some things that he did in this fight. Everyone's going to focus on the chin and the knockout. They should, because again, if you look over the course of Charles Oliveira's career, amazing technical striking, but not the biggest hitter in the world. Don't like the way that Chandler absorbed the punch, but I thought he made some other mistakes as well. Even when we talk about him getting out of the back position, going to his knees, uh, then when he had Oliveira hurt and then he went back into his guard, even that was dangerous, right? In my mind, when I'm watching the fight, I'm thinking that's dangerous because at that point, it had been uh, Michael Chandler who had the advantage on the feet. He had the power advantage, and he was able to land on Charles, and Charles was in retreat, in defense, being hurt, being dropped, right? So it looked, at that time, like Chandler should stand the fight up and get it back to the feet. Maybe he felt something on the feet from Charles that worried him, or maybe it was just another bad decision. The only reason I bring this up is because these are the things that will make you a better capper going forward. Because stylistically is one thing, but if a fighter continues to make bad decisions in a fight, the odds are somewhere, somehow they're going to slip up and the other fighter is going to take advantage of that. So that's something that you have to look at when you're capping fights. And obviously Chandler is going to get another fight. He's going to be a force in the division. I'm sure it's probably going to be a top 10 guy. So there are fights out there where we're going to have to cap Chandler against other legitimate threats in the division that bring their own tools to the game. And we're going to have to see how they match up with Chandler because, again, he did some good things tonight. But overall, it was a pretty piss poor performance from him, especially when you're going against a guy who isn't considered a big hitter. And that's how he takes you out. Also, the co-main event, we saw uh, Tony Ferguson. Ferguson loses again. I mean, that was a position that he's been in now three straight times in a row where he has lost. And you have to ask yourself, you know, what's going on with him? We didn't get to see a lot 
from Tony in the striking. It was basically another grappling dominated performance where Tony was on the bottom and there wasn't a lot for him to do. He was basically just surviving. And the, the, the things I didn't like about that is you could say, well, you know, he's just being out grappled. And that's true in the last two fights. But it, Tony going into these 12-fight win streak that he had was considered a good grapple, grappler. You saw him even submit people off his back like Kevin Lee. I mean, it, it just seems like all the cylinders aren't clicking there. And I'm probably going to do a separate podcast on him, to be honest with you, because there's a lot that we could look at and try to break down and see exactly what's going on with him. But even from the small parts of the striking that I saw, I, I, I just don't think he's all there. And I think as time goes by, we're probably going to come to that conclusion. But I think that's probably better saved for a separate podcast where we can look at at what we're seeing from him in these last few fights and see see if we can get a sense of, is it just him being out grappled? There's something more going on here. Uh, the Burgos-Barboza fight. Wow. Delayed reaction knockout. I mean, personally, I thought Barboza was putting on a masterful performance especially with the kicks now i know the announcers and a lot of people on the socials were getting all hard and hot and bothered about how burgos was you know pushing the pace and taking it and coming on he did have moments but like i tell you guys a lot of times people do not understand what they are watching i'm sorry it's true i know i sound like an arrogant ass when i say that but it's true. They're sitting here uh, touting Burgo's ability to, to absorb the punch. It's impressive. To absorb the kicks, it's impressive. To land his own punches, it's impressive. To put the pressure on, it's impressive. But he was taking a lot of brutal punishment during all of that. So I noticed this is a trend. People just go off on one side of the tracks and they never look at anything else. This is really bad with Joe Rogan and the announcing team. They get on one guy and they just go, go, go until something happens and then they'll switch. But it was Burgos doing this, Burgos doing that, Burgos doing this, Burgos doing that, Burgos, 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 Burgos. All the meantime, he was taking a massive amount of damage. They didn't understand the brutal effects of Barboza's punches and kick it, kicks until after the fact. Once the dude gets hit in the temple, does the delayed reaction spaghetti legs back to the cage and collapses, then they're like, oh yeah, it must have been the accumulation. You think? This was going on the entire fight, but they wanted to focus on what Burgos was doing instead of saying, Burgos is doing XYZ. This is fine. You can point out both sides of the equation. I never understand this. Like Burgos, Burgos, Bur like Barbosa's is doing nothing. Or it's Barbosa, 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 like Burgos is doing nothing. This is what they do. Like you've got to have some objectivity here. Burgos was doing things. They just were not having the damaging effect compared to the things that Barbosa was doing. So you can point out Burgos is doing X, Y, Z, but. To be fair to the audience and the people who maybe aren't as educated in the sport, 
you should point out at the same time that while Burgos is having success, he is taking a lot of punishment. This way, you don't look a fool when the guy gets hit in the head, collapses, and everyone's like, oh, you just gave him the last round, and he was doing X, Y, Z. Yeah, it doesn't matter if he won the last round, which is debatable in my opinion. I think you could have had Barboza up 2-0 again. A lot of people get on the hype train on one side, and they don't see anything else that's coming from the other side. But even if you want to give him the round in the 1919, the fact of the matter is... Barboza was winning the fight, the fight of who is taking the most amount of damage. Burgos was losing that because he was taking the most amount of damage from the beginning of the fight to the end of the fight. It doesn't matter if you have spurts and spatter and here and there. If you're on the losing end of those exchanges more often than not, you're losing the fight. And you saw that. Very important. For people to realize. Jacare. Snap. Crackle. Pop. What? Andre Munez. Man. I, I mean. If you guys didn't get a chance. You got to go back and watch that replay. Because you will literally hear the pop. That was insane. Going in. Andre had said that he was the better grappler. A lot of people thought that was crazy. I believe Jacare was only subbed once by Hodger Gracie in the ADCC 2005, I believe it was. Uh, I know he had his left arm broke by Hodger a year before at the IBJJF Worlds, and he literally took that broken arm and tucked it in his belt and was able to win the fight. This dude is tough. Tough as nails. If you don't believe me, watch this fight. His arm pops. It looks like it's a day at the beach. The dude don't yell. He don't scream. He just kind of looks at it like, mm, yeah, my arm's broke. I mean, talk about toughness. And then you get people giving me flack saying that there's fighters out there like Jacare, fighters that have shown true heart determination, that deserve the title of warrior. And then you got people that talk like they are like Billy Joe Saunders. Who gets a pass for quitting? Never, ever. Because there's real warriors out there like Jacare that would have continued to fight if you allowed him to. The ref heard the pop and he was like, whoa, like this is it. Like you, you can't go on, son. Like a dude that's at the IBJJF Worlds and tucks his broken arm in his belt as a true warrior. So don't give me none of that BJS bull crap because I don't want to hear it. He was a quitter, talked a lot of smack about people quitting, and when push came to shove, he gave up. But Jacare, wow. I mean, amazing. The dude's, I think, 41 now, so this does not bode well for him in his future UFC career. Obviously, it's a loss. I think he's lost something crazy, 6 of 8 or something like that, with the arm break. I mean... It may be time. It may be time. I mean, recently we've seen who? Cowboy. We've got Jack Array. We've seen Tony Ferguson. I mean, the old cat. We've seen T. T. Wood, uh, Tyrone Woodley. Like, these guys, they're, they're fading away. This is a young man's game. Like, this ain't for the faint of heart. Like, you know, you may still have the abilities and, and things may still, you know, 
roll and work how they're supposed to. But as you get older, man, it's tough. And I, and I think you saw that uh, with the recent run of these fighters that have been around for a long time and they're, and they're just starting to fade away now. So is the nature of the sport, though. I mean, it's sad to see, but if you're in the sport and you continue to compete at, at these ages, we saw with Anderson Silva, who's now going to be fighting Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. in a boxing match. I mean, you see these things and they happen, so it's not unexpected. It's just tough when you're watching it, you know, live in living color actually happen. Beverly Hills Ninja returns from his first loss in style that was a really nice performance from him heading into that fight i thought pickett was probably a little bit of a live dog on the inside line because of obviously wright's last fight but pickett has terrible takedown defense and that's one of the reasons why i like the under that was posted on the forum but uh the under in that fight is because um, of the takedown defense of Pickett. And if Pickett was going to win, it was going to win uh, by knockout. Obviously, Wright has uh, KOs and submissions. So that was the thought process there is Wright could probably win the fight on the feet or more likely in a submission. The Beverly Hills Ninja came with the heat and they started exchanging and throwing and bombing. And he was just able to blast him out. Really impressive performance coming off the knockout loss from Wright. He's a fun fighter to watch because he seems to just go balls to the wall. Like, he doesn't really care. Like, he'll trade with you. He'll shoot for a takedown. If you hurt him, he'll still swing or try, you know, a desperation takedown. So I'm interesting, interested to see where it's going to go from here. I definitely want to see him fight. The line wasn't crazy either. I think uh, Beverly Hills was minus 120, and I'm sure that's because he came off that KO loss. Uh, Andrea Lee defeated uh, Shevchenko, the elder Shevchenko. Man, that's the problem with Shevchenko. And she was the favorite in this fight. Not a huge favorite, but the favorite. Somewhere around like minus 120, minus 130. She lost via second round sub. She's just terrible off her back. She's getting up there in age too. I think she's 36, 37. But no matter what, even if you think she has the most awesome striking skills in the world, can outstrike somebody. The problem is if you put her on the back, she tends to stay there. And that's what happened here. This time she got put on her back early. And then in the second round, she got put in a triangle submission. And she was in there for what seemed like the entire round. Ultimately got submitted with the triangle slash armbar. It was really an armbar that, that submitted her. But she she's just not that well versed on the ground. And at this stage of the game and at her age, even with the one of the best MMA fighters on the planet as her sister, Valentina, I don't think she's going to get that much better on the ground. So when you're betting her, this is something that you have to always look at. If her opponent has any wrestling ability at all, they don't have to have submission ability. They just have to have wrestling ability. If they have any wrestling ability at all, you have to be very, very careful backing her, especially as the favorite, because if she gets taken down, the odds are she's not going to get back up, and that's almost always a loss of the round, and you don't need many of those, and you don't need many takedowns, and she's already lost the fight. So that's that's a warning for you guys if you're looking to bet her ever, whether it's plus or minus, but especially minus. But even as an underdog, you have to be careful. If her opponent has any ability to grapple, more than likely you're playing with fire if you bet Shevchenko. And then we had the upset of Gina Mazzani. That was a fight, another fight where we're talking about takedowns 
where Priscilla, she was horrible at defending takedowns. This was an easy fight for Mazzani as long as she could keep it on the ground. And then the ref, Beltran, stood them up in the second round when she was in guard. And then all hell broke loose. Now, I guess we could argue if that fight was supposed to be stood up or not. I mean, certain refs have quicker triggers. But you can't really argue that them standing that fight up basically led to her loss. Now, I know a lot of people were saying that she was already gassed. And and even if she made it through that round, there was no guarantee that she'd make it through the third. And and that's true. She was obviously tired. The issue I have here is there was over a minute, minute 30, minute 50. There was something like for sure over a minute left in the second in the second round, she would have been in top position there. So even if she was tired, she would have been able to rest. So if she would have made it through that second round in top position, she would have had another minute of rest plus the rest time in between the round. And then she would have only needed one takedown in the third round and she probably would have been able to ride out the round on top and win the fight. A lot of what ifs, a lot of coulda, woulda, shoulda. It didn't happen. We will never really know. But that's the problem with the stand-ups, right? Because once that fight was stood up, she started taking damage. She was under fire. She was obviously tired and fatigued. I'm not going to dispute that fact. And Priscilla was on her with the power punches. And she just folded. Let's be real. Her cardio gave out. She wasn't able to stand up to the shots. She couldn't get any takedowns because she was too tired. And she ended up getting knocked out. She was a minus 210 favorite going into that fight. During the first round and most of the second round, so you could see why she's a minus 210 favorite. Because Priscilla has no takedown defense. None whatsoever. And in the same regard as Shevchenko, once she gets put on her back, she didn't do anything. She just laid there. So Mazzani was able to just pretty much control her. Get one takedown, win the round. Get one takedown, win the round. Win one, uh, get one takedown, win the round. But it didn't work out because Beltran stood them up and Mazzani uh, was super duper fatigued and she wasn't even able to make it out of the second round. I'm not sure if after the stand up, after the abuse and the punches that she took, if she would have been able to make it out of the second round. I'm really not sure if that rest would have done anything for her. She would have still needed to come out. And snatch a takedown. Otherwise you would have ended up with the same result 100% because she was just too fatigued. So her her whole entire fight plan was around takedowns. And then even if you want to call it laying prey, whatever you want to call it, was keeping the fight on the ground. And that's another issue. So when you're looking at future fights, a minus 210 favorite here that gasses in a fight where she's able to fight in a position that she needs to be in, that she wants to be in, there's a problem. So you're gassing any fight that you're controlling with little resistance in a position that you want to be in. So what happens when you're not controlling the fight in a position that you want to be in? That's the second round when she got stood up. This is another important factor to keep in mind when you're looking at capping future Gina Mazzani fights. Because apparently, unless this is a one-off... She's going to have cardio issues if she can't get the fight where she wants. And then no matter the line, it doesn't matter if you can't make it out of the fight. So overall, not a bad night of fights. I think there's a lot that we could talk about, a lot that we could discuss. 
it's hard in the in the podcast format like I'm doing right here because they get very long. It's probably better suited for something like a live stream where you, we could do something like a, a post-fight live stream if there's any interest in that. And then maybe we could go back and forth. I could answer some questions or something like that. Those are things I'm just thinking about doing in the future. Obviously not for this one. I don't know if there's even an interest in that. There's a, you know, there's a lot of especially with the COVID lockdowns and, and now things are starting to open up. But prior to that, it was a UFC that pretty much, pretty much had been the, the outlier, the outliers, the explorers, the, the rebels that, that pushed against the system and, and were holding fights wherever they could. So there's a lot of new fans in the sport. There's a lot of new quote unquote experts in the sport. There's a lot of new attention and spotlight on the sport. So you have a lot of different places that you can go for content. So I'm not sure if, if people want that, you know, uh, a live stream Q and a or something like that. I'll have to put that, that, uh, that question out there to the community and see if that's something we could do. If not, that's cool. I just keep doing post fight, uh, podcasts like this and then just replying to your comments as much as I can, or maybe we'll go a different direction and do something where we, we try to sneak in some live streams and some live, live Q and A's. And maybe, maybe that'll work better for these, uh, post fight, uh, uh, podcasts where we can get a little more in depth, talked a little bit about more things and jump from subject to subject easier. Anyway, we'll see how that goes. That's it for this episode of Fight Junkie. I will sock it to you tomorrow, baby. Fight Junkie out.